Good morning, Harvest. Can you hear me? Good, good. Hey, can we uh, thank the worship team as they head off for leading us in worship? It's such a privilege and joy to be led by them. Um, Do me a favor. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Lamentations 3. We are going to be in uh, the book of Lamentations. This week is kind of a unique week for us at church. Um, We just finished last week our uh, worldview series that we did with a question and answer week. And uh, next week begins Christmas at Harvest. And uh, man, we're just so excited to celebrate Christmas. Next week when you come, it's going, there's going to be trees. It's going to feel like Christmas. And we're so excited to celebrate the birth of our Savior uh, this upcoming month. But there's kind of like this one after Thanksgiving one-off message. And we're like, all right. So we've got one message where we can kind of preach on anything. And we decided we should preach on darkness and suffering uh, this weekend. And, and there's a couple of reasons why we wanted to do that. The first reason we wanted to is, is that we knew that Ohio State was playing Michigan on Saturday. And we're like, man, it's always a good week to teach on darkness whenever Michigan loses to Ohio State. But they didn't. They won yesterday. Totally messed up our plans. I know. So now I've got to kind of bring the Michigan fans down to size a little bit. Maybe that's why the Lord's doing it. Um, here's the other reason, if I could just be honest. There is a sense of darkness and heaviness over this season right now, isn't there? Like, here's what I know. We're almost two years into this whole COVID thing. Does it feel like there's a light at the end of the tunnel yet? It just doesn't. Like, the hospitals, as of last week, are at overcapacity, overrun. Schools are still shutting down. Um, As families try to navigate meeting together for holidays, it's incredibly difficult. And people are tired, and it's hard. Man, I'll tell you, just even speaking personally, trying to staff volunteers and church and make services run is borderline impossible. It's just very, very difficult. Um, Yesterday, three hours before church started, um, I got uh, the call from my dad. He just tested positive for COVID. So he is at home right now. I'm sure he's watching online. He was texting me during the worship set telling me how much he likes Trevor's voice. So he's engaged. He's he's up. He's feeling okay. But he's, you know, got the head cold and fighting that. So he's out for the next 10 days. So he was supposed to be preaching today. So now I'm preaching here, then getting in my car, going to Grand Haven, then getting in my car, coming back, preaching here. There's just always adjustments. It's just a difficult season. And and so what we want to do is it's like, all right. What do we do when life is difficult? What do we do when it's dark? What do we do when there's suffering? How do we as Christians get through it? And the book of Lamentations, it's really a book about suffering and darkness. It was written by the prophet Jeremiah. And just so you know who Jeremiah was, is Jeremiah was the prophet to the nation of Judah right when Judah was going to fall into captivity to the Assyrians. Uh, he is prophesying to a people that does, they don't love God anymore. They don't follow God's commands. They don't like Jeremiah because he's speaking for a God they don't even follow anymore. And Judah is about to get decimated, wiped out by a world power who, by the way, is known for their might and brutality and wickedness. Sounds like a fun gig, doesn't it? And this is what Jeremiah's life, he's often called the weeping prophet. His life looks like this. The people in his own country don't like him because they don't follow God. They don't like what he's saying. So there's plots to kill him. He is thrown in prison by his own king. And all the while he knows that the Assyrians are coming and they are going to bring judgment on Israel. And Lamentations is Jeremiah basically mourning to God the state of Israel spiritually and what is happening physically to the people, but also the state of Jeremiah's life. 
And in chapter three, he begins to talk about himself and how he feels. And I'm just going to warn you, I'm just going to read the next 20 verses. These are some of the most brutally honest, darkest verses in the entire Bible we're about to read together. Here's what it says. He says this, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven me and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. And though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with block of stones. He has made my paths crooked. Pretty dark so far, right? Gets better. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He has turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He has bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrow of his quiver. I have become a laughing stock of all peoples, of the object of their taunts all the day long. He has filled me with bitterness and he has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and he made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So is my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings and the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and it is bowed down within me. It's a lot of fun, isn't it, right? Like that sounds like a bad Adele song right there, right? It's really, really dark. And... um. Listen, I've had bad moments. I've had moments where I've wanted to give up. I've had moments where I felt like God is far away. I have never once accused God uh, of setting his bow against me and shooting arrows into his, my kidney like I was a deer during hunting season. Never done it. I've never claimed that I've been chewing on gravel, right? Even though like, that, that, that's one of those things when you hear it, it makes you feel bad. Like, could you imagine chewing on gravel? Jeremiah is saying, this is my life every single day. I think in all of scripture, this might be the dark, darkest, most brutally honest passages in the whole Bible. Jeremiah is depressed, he's angry, and he's despondent. So here's the question. Why is this in the Bible? Why does Jeremiah include this? Why does God include this in his word? Well, here's why. There's a universal reality that I want to start off with, and it's this. It's that life gets dark. Here's the truth. It doesn't matter what worldview you ascribe to. It doesn't matter how moral you are. It doesn't matter how good of a person you are. It doesn't matter how healthy you are, how wealthy you are, how much you have or don't have. Darkness and suffering comes for us all. And this is something that after 13 years of ministry, I don't just believe in my head, I know in my heart because I have seen it to be true. One of the unique things about being a pastor is, is you walk with people in the worst moments of their lives. Darkness comes for everyone. I mean, I even think about the holidays. The holidays can be dark, can't they? Right at the end of the year, it's supposed to be a season of celebration and festivities and family. But for some families this year, it's the first holidays since dad's been gone. It's the first holidays since mom was diagnosed. It's a picture or a reminder of a broken family or broken relationships and things that we used to have that we no longer have anymore. I know historically the weekend of Thanksgiving, there's an uptick in our, in our country of suicides because the holidays can even be dark. 
And um, so why is this in the Bible? Well, the reason is, is because 2 Timothy 3 says that all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching. God's trying to teach us something. And one of the things I love about the Bible is the Bible isn't scared of the dark. In fact, I would argue that the Bible is way more honest than, than we are. But like, here's what I mean. I, I think you and I are really, really good at pretending like things are okay when they're actually not okay, right? I've made this joke before that you'll go to someone in church and it'll be like, Britt will come to me and it'll be like, hey, Cal, how are you doing? And I'm like, I'm doing good. Right in the background, I have no idea where my kids are. My house is on fire. My wife is Googling how to get away with murder, right? Everything is falling apart. And no, everything's good, man. Good to see you. God bless you. Everything's fine. Like we are good at playing this game. In fact, we're so good at it that if I were to go to Jake and be like, hey, Jake, how you doing? And if you were to come, you'd be like, man, I'm not doing well. It's like, then what do you say? It, it, it gets awkward. We don't even know how to respond because we're so programmed. Just when you're asked that, you just say, good. Well, the Bible's not cowards like we can be. It's not scared of the dark. In fact, it speaks directly into it to give us help and hope. And I titled this message, Surviving the Dark Moments. And what we're going to see in this text is two necessities we need to survive the dark moments of life. Here's the first necessity. When life is dark, I have to win the war over my thoughts. I have to win the war over my thoughts. And what I want you to do is I want you to see verse 21. Look how things change. Jeremiah has spent 20 verses saying, I am miserable. God has set himself against me. But then look what he says in 21. He says, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And what's interesting is this, this is one of the most famous verses in the entire Bible. Like, let me ask you this. How many of you have heard that passage before, that his mercies are new every morning, great is your faithfulness? All right, but I bet you most of us didn't know that it was after 20 verses of saying that God is a bear tearing me apart and like a lion, like wiping me out. But he says, but this I call to mind. This is what I'm choosing to set my mind on, that God is faithful, that his love never ceases, that his mercies never come to an end. So if you take notes in your Bible, underline, circle, star this verse, do whatever you need to, because this is the turning point. And here's what Jeremiah is teaching us to do. He's teaching us to identify what is true and what are lies. You see, when life is dark, it's very, very easy to lose sight of what is true and what are lies. Did you know in John 8, Jesus calls Satan the father of lies? That Satan's number one tactic to keep us from following God, to keep us from growing and thriving in our faith, it's to whisper lies in our ear. He did it to Adam and Eve. He tried to do it to Jesus when he was in the wilderness. He tells us lies, and if he can get us to believe those lies, we will walk away from the Lord. And here's what I would argue. When life is dark, when there's suffering, the lies come the most thick and the most fast. Satan knows what he's doing. And you can almost see Jeremiah in the first 20 verses spiraling into these lies. And then all of a sudden he's like, no, I need to set my mind. I need to win the battle over my thoughts, set my mind on what is true. And really quick, here are three dangerous lies the darkness produces. Here's the first. Um, one lie is, is that suffering is not part of the plan. And I think when we go through seasons of suffering and darkness, it's easy for us to be like, God, where are you? 
Like, like God, what's, what's going on? Why is this happening? This isn't part of the plan. I, I love you. I'm trying to be faithful. Where are you? Are you absent? Are you even real? Why are you allowing this? Um, especially in a secular culture that adopts a worldview that there is no God and there is no eternity, suffering really serves no purpose. So in, in our culture, we just try to do everything we can to avoid it, stay as far away as we can. And um, here's what's interesting is that suffering was actually part of God's plan for Jeremiah all along. And, and we don't have time, but if you went to Jeremiah 1, you can read the story where Jeremiah is actually a young boy when God calls him to be a prophet. And God's like, Jeremiah, I want you to be a prophet to my people. And Jeremiah's like, I'm not even a good public speaker. I think you have the wrong guy. And God's like, no, you're the right guy. Just tell me what you see. And God gives Jeremiah a vision. And you know what the vision is of? It's of an impending destruction for Judah. So even when he was a boy, God's like, Jeremiah, you're going to be a prophet and you're going to prophesy that judgment is coming on Israel for their sin. And he knew that Jeremiah wasn't going to be liked. He knew that that would lead to suffering. And it wasn't that God was absent. He was orchestrating it in Jeremiah's life. My sister sent me a message this week or a chapel from a, a pastor named Dr. Chuck Swindoll. And I don't know if you recognize that name, but he was the pastor of Dallas Theological Seminary. He's in his 80s now. He's got 60 years of faithful ministry experience, loves the Lord, finishing well. And he was doing a chapel for Dallas Theological Seminary. And he started his message off by saying this. He said this, when God wants to do an impossible task, he takes an impossible person and then he crushes them. That part of the way that God prepares us for what he has in our lives is to crush us. We see this all over scripture. We see it with David, right? In the hills, running from his life, hiding from King Saul. We see it with Abraham, years and years and years of infertility and being promised to be the father of this great nation, but seemingly feels like God is absent. We see it with Moses hiding in the wilderness, fleeing for his life over and over and over again in scripture. Before God does something amazing, he takes someone and he crushes them. That God will do whatever is necessary to mold us and to shape us into the image of his son. And listen, church, let me just lovingly tell you, God's ultimate goal for your life is not to give you what is easiest for you. It is to make you the most possible like Jesus. And that means he will allow us to have times of being crushed and to suffer so we can experience the sufferings of Christ and to become more like Jesus in the process. Uh, John Roberts was a chief justice of the Supreme Court, and, and he was asked to give a commencement speech at his son's ninth grade graduation. So, so you've got the, one of the highest people in all of American law asking to give a speech to a bunch of ninth graders. And, and he titled his message, I wish you bad luck. And, and so he's talking to a bunch of ninth graders, and here's what he says to them. He says, I hope that you will be treated unfairly so that you come to know the value of justice. I hope that you will suffer betrayal from someone you trusted because that will teach you the value of loyalty. I hope you will be lonely from time to time so that you never take your friends for granted. And when you lose, I hope every now and then your opponent will gloat over your failure. It will teach you to understand the value of sportsmanship. I hope you are ignored. It will teach you the importance of listening to others. And I hope you will have just enough pain to learn compassion. And what the chief justice was trying to communicate to these ninth graders is there is no growth without pain. 
And so this lie that God's absent or it's not part of the plan, we need to recognize that for what it is. It is a lie. And if I could just be transparent with you, this is a reality that's hitting my family hard this year. Um, I have a, a cousin who he and his wife, they're in their late 20s, um, grew up with them, close with them. They um, live out of state. He is a, a young guy doing ministry just like me. And we just found out a few months ago that his wife just received a terminal diagnosis. Super rare, out of nowhere. And it's hit like a freight train. Like there's been darkness. So now they're in the process of second opinions and treatment plans and all of that stuff. But there is real temptation to be like, God, this isn't fair. Why them? Why, why is this happening? Where are you? But, but church, here's one of the things we need to understand. We don't get to doubt in the darkness what God has made clear to us in the light. And so here's what we know to be true, and this is what Jeremiah is saying, that God is faithful. His mercies are new every morning, that he is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit, and God will be near us and with us, and he is for us, and he loves us. We need to hold on what is true and not believe the lie that suffering is somehow not part of God's plan. I love how Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 4. He says this. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body by the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus's sake so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. And I love the line, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not destroyed. Paul's like, listen, we're being afflicted every single way and we don't even know why. We're perplexed. We can't even figure it out. But here's what we know, that God is accomplishing his life and his work in us through our suffering. So we are not crushed and not destroyed. God is not absent. Here's the second lie. Second lie that we can see here in the darkness is this is all my fault. We can believe in the dark moments that we are the problem, that we have done something wrong, and that maybe God is angry with us or we have failed somehow. A couple of years ago, I had a good friend um, tell me, that she said, Cal, you've got to stop taking responsibility for everyone else's actions. And she's like, Cal, you put way too much on your shoulders. When everything's going good, you take way too much credit for it. And when everything is going bad, it crushes you and it's not right. It doesn't glorify the Lord and it's not fair. And she said, Cal, sometimes people are just going to people. Sometimes sin is just going to sin. It's not all a reflection on you. And you know what? I needed to hear that. I didn't like it in the moment, but I needed to hear it. I think it's easy. I know for me, it's easy in dark moments to be like, what could I have done differently? How could have I avoided this? If I was smarter, if I was more prepared, if I hadn't messed up, I wouldn't be in that place. And sometimes it's not a consequence it's just a circumstance, and it's because we live in a broken world, and it's out of our control. But again, on the other side of that pendulum, the other thing that we can do, the other lie we can believe is that none of this is my fault. And we can get hard-hearted, and we can get defensive, and we can become the victim, and we can start blaming everyone. And if my parents would have done better, if my spouse was better, if my work was more understanding, that this is all everyone else's fault, and we quickly won't own anything or move away from any responsibility. And I think we need to have the humility to always be asking ourselves, what can I own? 
how have I contributed to the darkness or suffering? And if I have, I'm going to own it. I'm going to ask forgiveness. I'm going to repent of it. And if I haven't, I'm going to release that to the Lord and understand that like God's in control of this thing. And in verses 21 through 23 of Lamentations 3, you see Jeremiah start to go to war against the lies he's believing. He's replacing them with what is true, that God is present, that Jeremiah is loved, and that God has not abandoned him. Okay, here's the next thing you need to do to win the war of the mind. You need to surround yourself with good outside voices. You need to surround yourself with good outside voices. This is something you see Jesus do in the Gospels. Do you remember the night that Jesus was betrayed? What he does is he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, and what does he do? He prays, right? And he's so afflicted, he is sweating drops of blood, but he doesn't pray by himself. He gathers his closest disciples. He says, I want you with me. I want you to pray for me. I need your help. It is dark right now. I know what's coming. I can't do this alone. I need you to be there for me. You see this in the Old Testament. Elijah comes to a point with God where he is so overwhelmed. He's like, God, I just want to die here out in the desert. He's running for his life. And you know what God does? He he says, you know what you need, Elijah? You need a friend. Go to this village. You're going to meet a man named Elisha. He's going to become your protege. And I'm going to give you a partner because you need a good outside voice to walk this journey with. But church, you need to understand that there are voices in your life that might not be good for you when you're walking in times of darkness, right? You understand the difference between a good voice that's going to call you to the Lord and a bad voice that's going to call you to selfishness, right? We see this in the Bible too. When Job, when his family is going through suffering and he comes afflicted with illness and his kids die and he loses all of his money, do you remember what his wife says in the moment where Job needs her the most? Curse God and die. It's like, thanks, honey, love you too. Thanks, babe, you're the best, right? Not helpful. And then Job gathers friends and guess what they tell Job? Yeah, this is all your fault. You must have done something wrong. God must be against you. They don't give him the advice and information he needs. Man, there was this one time my wife and I were counseling a couple in our small group and their marriage was just in a difficult place. And what's crazy is, is we would meet with them every week and like, For a month, we'd meet straight and we'd be making good progress. They'd be forgiving each other. They'd be owning things. They'd be growing closer together. They'd be having victory. And then once a month, the wife would go on like a girl's trip with her girlfriends. And it was like all of the work we had accomplished that month went out the window because she surrounded herself with voices that said, your husband's a piece of trash. You'd be so much more happy if you're single. Look how much freedom you have when you don't have to deal with him. Look how much fun we're having. And it was like she was surrounding herself with outside voices that weren't for the marriage, that weren't for what was best for her. It was for what would feel good in the moment. You know, again, I mentioned it before, but our family has been going through this whole COVID thing uh, the past few weeks. This started three weeks ago. My daughter woke up with a fever. Then Mary got a fever. She had a fever for 16 straight days. Then my other daughter had a fever. So the girls got it first. And then Judah, my six-year-old son, a couple days later, he got COVID. And Bo, my eight-year-old son, never got it, which is insane to me because Judah and Bo, they sleep in the same bed and they spend 80% of the day wrestling, breathing on each other or touching each other in some way, shape, or form. Bo never got it. So, so here's what I know. With all of the quarantine um, and exposure rules, we're pretty convinced Bo will go back to school at some point in 2025. That's kind of what we've just like accepted. Like he's never going to school again because of all the rules and regulations, but he never had it. 
So my wife is trying to navigate online school while she's running fevers. It's just been a difficult three weeks, and our girls have gone through it. They um, were without symptoms for 10 days, got through all the protocols, so they were back in school last Monday and Tuesday. And Mary was in the pickup line waiting to pick the girls up from school, and one of her best friends from our small group came over, and she's like, hey, Mary, how you doing? And Mary did what we do, right? Well, we're hanging in there. We're getting through it. We're doing okay. And her friend was like, no, you're not. I can see it in your face. You're not really okay, are you? Right? And then it was like tears. No, I'm not. This is miserable, and this is hard, and I'm exhausted. And and, um, we need to have voices and friends in our life who love us enough to call us out when we're pretending to disarm the lies we're believing and point us to the reality that God loves us and that he's in control and to get our eyes vertical. If you isolate yourself in dark seasons, it's the best way to run your life off of a cliff very, very quickly. Then here's the third thing we need to do to win the war of the mind. We need to resist the urge to live five steps down the road. We need to resist the urge to live five steps down the road. It's very, very easy in times of darkness and suffering to jump to worst case scenarios or to become consumed with things that haven't even happened yet, right? Where it's like, all right, here's where I'm at. And that means this is gonna happen. Then this is gonna happen. Then this is gonna happen. And we're living in a place that's way worse than what's actually real. The Bible warns against this all the time. In Matthew 6, 34, Jesus says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient, is the day, uh, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. When Jesus teaches us how to pray, he tells us, ask God to give us this day our daily bread. He, he's teaching us, God, give us what we need to get through today and let us trust you that you will be faithful to give us what we need tomorrow. All right, look again at verse 22 in Lamentations 3. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Jeremiah is saying that, listen, the mercy of the Lord, it comes to us new every single morning. And and, and that God has given us everything we need to get through the day, but he hasn't yet given us the grace to get through tomorrow's trials and troubles yet. And, And church, here's the big idea this morning, and this is something we have to have. So much of the stress and anxiety in our lives is caused by confronting problems we haven't been given the grace for. And here's what I mean. Like, how much better would we sleep? How much joy would we have in life if we actually believed and trusted that God was going to be faithful tomorrow just like he was yesterday and is today and that he's going to keep his promises? Listen, God has given us the grace we need to follow him and trust him and survive the day, but he hasn't given us the grace yet for tomorrow's problems. So when I live consumed about what might happen in the future, if I live five steps down the roads, I am attacking problems I haven't even received the grace for yet, and it's going to crush me and consume me with fear and anxiety. Part of the way we win the war of our mind in dark seasons is we slow down and say, what is God calling me to today? How do I trust him in this moment? How do I believe that he's going to be faithful tomorrow and not let my mind run to worst case scenarios? Jeremiah is finding himself in a place where he is desperate. He's at his wit's end. And he has to remind himself that the mercies of the Lord are new every morning and that he isn't equipped to face tomorrow's challenges today. Neither are we. We have to believe that. Okay, and here's the second way we survive the dark seasons. We gotta win the war of the mind, but then this is just as big. Um, My feet have to follow. 
my feet have to follow, what I'm thinking has to produce action in my life. And listen, we don't have time to turn there right now, but I could show you in the life of Jeremiah, you know what Jeremiah does even when he's in dark seasons? He continues to prophesy. He continues to follow the Lord. Even when Judah is being besieged and everything's falling apart. Um, anyone into uh, zombie movies? Um, anyone like zombie movies? No one, just me, I'm the only weirdo. All right, you like zombie movies? You know how like in a zombie movie, there's always that one moment where like the barricade crumbles in on itself and everyone gets like overrun? Like Jeremiah was prophesying, doing what the Lord was calling him to do right until the very end and Judah was wiped out. His feet followed his mind. He didn't let the darkness win. We see this in another place in Genesis 4 in the story of Cain and Abel, don't we? Right, do you remember the story where both brothers offer a sacrifice and Abel's is accepted and Cain's isn't? And it says when Cain's sacrifice isn't accepted by God, it says he becomes angry in his heart and his face falls. And it's a picture of depression. Cain goes dark. And God meets Cain in that moment. And it says this in Genesis 4, 6. It says, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Do you see what God warns Cain? He's like, you're depressed right now. You're in bad headspace. Life is dark. You've got a choice. You can do what's right and you can move through this dark season and you'll be accepted. Or you can do what's wrong and sin will devour you because it wants to destroy you. He gives Cain a choice. He, he says, you need to do what's right despite how you feel. And church, here's what I know. I think there's a very, very real temptation that when life is dark, to be like, well, I'll start moving again once it clears up, right? Like it's dark, I don't really know where I'm walking, I'm just going to stay stagnant and, and believe that when things get better, then I'll start doing what's right, then I'll start following the Lord. That's really, really bad idea. What God is calling us to do is, is even in the darkness, we need to win the war over our mind and our feet need to follow. We need to do the things that God has called us to do even when life is difficult. The darkness is not a hall pass to following God faithfully. All right, so what does that look like practically? It looks like a couple things. Um, first, it looks like small steps of obedience. Small steps of obedience. What is God calling us to do right now? What does faithfully following the Lord look like for us today? What would glorify him in this moment? Like, man, we've been, again, my wife and I have done some marriage counseling before, and we'll have couples that are just in a really bad spot in their marriage, and they can hardly talk, and they're fighting, and they're lacking hope. And some of our advice to them is, listen, do the small step of obedience right now and trust that the Lord will bless that. And here's what that means. Well, I'll tell the guy, hey, schedule and plan a date night. Get the childcare Make a, a, an order, you know, make a reservation at a restaurant. Take your wife out to dinner, spend time with her. I'll tell the guy, hey, turn the stupid sports game off. Watch the cheesy Hallmark movie and hold your wife's hand and smile while you do it because you wanna show that you love her and you care about her and you prioritize her. Hey, help around the house. Hey, ask your wife how she's doing. Do these small things that a good husband would do that God is asking you to do. Put her needs over your own and trust that the Lord is going to bless that, right? I've met with uh, rebellious high schoolers or kids in their 20s. Guess what my advice is? Go to school and do your homework. Be responsible. 
show up to work, work hard, do whatever your parents ask you to do and do it with a good attitude. Just focus on the small things today. Show up at youth group, show up at small group, be humble, be honest, own what you can own, take these small steps. I think so often when it's dark, we think we're at the bottom of the mountain and we're like, man, getting through this is so far away. And rather than staying at the bottom, staring at the top, just put your pick into the mountain one step at a time and you will get yourself up. It's being faithful in the small things. When, when life is dark, we've got to simplify things and say, what would the Lord have me do right now? And I'm going to trust that he's going to be with me and bless me in that moment. Small steps of obedience build on each other. Maybe you're here today and your small step is that you came to church and I've got to sing, and I've got to worship, and I've got to put myself under the authority of God's word because I need that right now. Thank you for doing that if that's you. And then here's the other thing that we need to do. Um, we need to do whatever we can to take our eyes off of ourselves. Another way that we honor the Lord with our feet is we turn from being selfish to being serving. And we get our eyes off of ourself and we say, all right, how can I be a blessing and serve others? Like, I'm gonna be honest, there's been times where I come home from work and I've had a bad day at the office and a meeting hasn't gone well or I'm bickering with someone and things aren't great. And I'll just come home and I'll be like, hey, Mary, can you just write down a grocery list and let me go get groceries for you? And Mary will be like, Cal, I just got groceries. I don't need them. I'm like, I don't care. I just wanna go get groceries. I just wanna help and serve you. And she's like, well, you're not helping me and serving me. We have everything. And I'm like, just pretend for me that we don't so I can feel good about loving and serving you because I'm not in good headspace and I need to get my mind off of what's going on in my life and onto serving you and serving my kids. What can you do to serve someone else when life is dark? It's really, really good medicine for your soul. And then here's another thing I would say. Um, I am always listening to stuff. I almost constantly have a podcast on or I'm listening to music. Like very, very often a pastor will walk in my office and they'll think I'm on the phone because they hear a voice talking and it's just a podcast I'm listening to. Here's what I would say. In moments of suffering and when life is dark, um, I'm very, very selective about what I listen to. And it's usually primarily worship music. I need to consume my mind with thoughts that are gonna push my mind vertical and tell me truth about the Lord. So if you're in a season where life is difficult and you're struggling, can I just encourage you, um, start listening to worship music. It will do a work in your mind to, to kind of reorient your thoughts around the Lord. We've gotta get our eyes off of ourselves. And so let me just close by this. How do we know in the dark seasons that God is good and that he's going to be faithful? Well, do you remember what we just celebrated with communion? That God gave himself for us that God is so faithful, he's so loving that he gave his son to come and die and to take the punishment of our sin. So in the dark moments, we need to remember what we know to be true in the light, that there is nothing that God wouldn't spare for us, that he wouldn't graciously give, and he's proven it to us in Jesus Christ. And so church, thank you for hanging with me as we kind of entered the darkness together because I'm so looking forward to the light of the gospel and the light of Christmas and celebrating together the birth of that hope of our Savior. Amen? All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I, th I thank you for um, your word. I thank you for an uncomfortable topic and I thank you for an uncomfortable life. And God, we can learn so much through Jeremiah. 
And God, his life was not in vain. His suffering was not in vain, but you've used his life to bless us thousands of years later. And that's because you're good and you're powerful and you're sovereign over every moment. You're King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And God, would you give us the strength to remember and hold on to what is true, even when the circumstances in our life are difficult and dark. God, I don't know what's going on with every heart in this room, but um, I know we need you. And I know that you do, and I know that you're faithful. So I'm trusting that you can do what only your spirit can do and minister to us in this moment. May this time of worship now be a sincere act of worship and praise to your name. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.